Hi there, and welcome to Beyond the Cover. Uh, this is Jeff Ayers, usually a co-host, but today John is not feeling well. So it gives me the awesome pleasure of getting to interview by myself one of my favorite writers, Greg Hurwitz. Greg, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thanks for doing this. Um, so your new novel, let's talk about this, Into the Fire. What, what's it about? Funny, at the end of... Uh out of the dark, the last book. You know, I wanted that to be my homage to The Day of the Jackal, which is one of my favorite thrillers growing up. Do you remember reading that the first time? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, so I just wanted to have this big, you know, big high-concept thriller. Got to the end of it, and I was thinking, I always like to make the books in the series feel like they have different engines and that they function differently. And I thought, why don't we start with just a sort of small intimate little story, a nowhere man's story, the phone rings, one eight five five to nowhere. And, you know, of course, the nowhere man, Evan Smoke, is on the other end of the line. And he's asked for help by a guy called Max Merriweather. Now, Max Merriweather is, he's kind of the black sheep in his family. There's a ton of cousins, you know, adult cousins. And he's the one who never kind of fit in or did well. And his, his very successful cousin, Grant, has come to him and gave him an envelope and said, if anything ever happens to me, open this envelope. And that's a setup we've seen, you know, a bunch before. It's kind of a Hitchcock setup. And what usually happens is the hero then goes on, having put this insurance policy in place, and vanquishes his foes, and everything works out happily. The story that we never see is what happens to the poor schmuck with the envelope if something happens to the hero and he needs to execute that insurance policy. And I thought, (laughs) that's the story I want to tell. And so sure enough, Max Merriweather's cousin is brutally murdered. He's stuck with this envelope. There's a crew of killers coming after him. He has no idea why and no idea what to do. Um, and he, you know, he winds up opening it, and it contains a single key with no other information. And through a series of events, he finds his way to the 1855-to-nowhere number. He calls Evan, and Evan comes in and you know, starts to help him. At first, we think it's just the normal level of criminal dipshititude, but it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until basically Evan winds up in a situation where he's facing the biggest threat that he's ever faced through the first five books in the franchise. So it kind of started smaller and grows and grows until it explodes. You know, and that's right around chapter 44 is where he's going he's gonna to get, get himself into a situation that, to be honest, I wasn't sure I could write my way out of. Well, what I loved about it is in other books, you would have him resolve it, and then that'd be the end. But here, it's like, well, he resolves it, you think, and then that opens something else, and then it just keeps exploding and exploding. And you think, holy cow, at some point, he's got to reach the end, and I love that. (laughs) Oh, thank you. You know, it's like that nursery rhyme of the little old lady who swallowed the fly, and then she swallowed the spider to catch a fly, and then she swallowed a bird to catch the spider. And, you know, I just kind of conceived of it that way. It's not the most obvious template for a thriller, but I just thought, what if this thing keeps telescoping out on him until it becomes sort of intensely dangerous and intensely, you know, personal? Um, And it was really fun to construct it that way. and, you know, it's been, it's been great. We got a return of some of our, you know, the usual crew. We got Joey Morales back, who's the 16-year-old hacker. I introduced her first in, in Hellbent. You know, I originally had planned to kill her at the end of Hellbent. Um, Glad you didn't. And, 
Yeah, I know. I mean, the dynamic between them is so much fun that I got there, and I just couldn't bring myself to do it. I'm so glad. I I was thinking, you know, Robert Christ talks about how in the rough draft of the monkey's raincoat, he killed off Joe Pike, and then he decided not to. He says it's one of the best financial decisions he ever made. But um, I have a, a similar feeling with Joey. There's so much she brings out in Evan, this sort of really attitude-y, vulnerable, tough, brilliant 16-year-old hacker. There's so many ways that she reflects back him and that brings out aspects of him and that he's reflected in her that, that that's proven to be a really important relationship for me as the series progresses. Well, I have to say that's one of the themes of the series which I enjoy so much, which is sort of family. You know, he's an orphan. Uh, you have this relationship with this wonderful hacker. And also relationships with people in his condo building. And you kind of focused a little on that as well. And I'm wondering what prompted you to focus on those, uh, let's just say, uh, more colorful characters? <laughs> well, you know, I think that part of it was Evan was raised with the Ten Assassins Commandments given to him by his handler. And what's interesting is, and I've only sort of recently figured this out, a lot of times I write and I don't know where it's coming from. Like, I don't, you know, I know the story, I know what I'm doing, but in hindsight, it kind of becomes clear to me what's happening. And so there's, you know, here's Evan's backstory. You know, he's taken out of a foster home at the age of 12. He was trained to be an assassin for the U.S. government, off the books, covert program. Um, you know, killed people all around the globe, went places the U.S. government should not go and did things they should not do. Um, and then eventually the moral ambiguities became too much, and he fled the program and went off the radar and now is a, you know, basically a pro bono assassin helping people in desperate need. Well, that's the exact point that I started the series. And, you know, given what I just laid out, it's like why wouldn't I start it when he was Orphan X as an assassin? But I guess what turns out that I was really interested in dealing with was the notion of him having had his sort of rigid set of commandments that always governed his life. But I was interested in the point when he was starting to break all of those commandments, when his past was catching up to him, when he was learning how to interact with real people in a way that he never had occasion to. And so part of his vulnerability and his struggle is to try to figure out, as he lives among ordinary people in disguise, undercover identity in L.A., in a condo building, but how is he going to figure out what this strange language of intimacy is? He's somebody who's unbelievably calm and composed and at home while he's plotting a raid on a you know, high-value targets compound, but he's undone if he has to make small talk by the mail slots. And so the book started during this process of him trying to kind of forge his way towards a new set of you know, commandments and ideals to live his life by, to, to try to figure out how to interact with people. And so that's grown over the books, you know. When Orphan X starts, the first book in the series, he's much more of a lone wolf. And, you know, there's more and more people in life and color around him as he's trying to figure out how to possibly integrate it into his understanding of himself. Well, you know, I have to mention me and Peter because I love both of them. And even though I know... They shouldn't be together. I want them together. You want to talk about them a little bit? Well, yeah. Downstairs from Evan, there is a single mother uh, district attorney who he has a lot of chemistry with. But, of course, if she ever knew who he actually was and what he does, you know, in his, in his time, she'd have to arrest him. So it's like it's this really 
freighted, complicated relationship. And she has a nine-year-old boy called Peter who obviously brings up for Evan a lot of feelings of his own past as an orphan because, A, Peter's adopted, and, B, his adoptive father passed away. And so he's got, he's got echoes and reflections of that with Evan, but he's being raised wonderfully and lovingly by his mom. And so Evan gets to sort of inter, interface with him in a way where there's some similarities, but also see the ways in which this kid is being raised with emotional and psychological stability and a good set of lessons to govern his life by, as opposed to an assassin's Ten Commandments <laughs> that he was saddled with from the age of 12. And so there's just a lot of room for them to interact. And, you know, he doesn't really know how he's certainly skilled with, you know, he's had um, – all sorts of operational skills. He certainly has had plenty of affairs and interaction with women, but this is, Mia is something different for him. She's, she's a real person. She's a real interaction. Um, and so I think he's often undone trying to figure out what you do when ordinary things happen. You know, like he gets invited to her house for dinner and he doesn't know what to bring, so he brings like a Navy SEAL spec medics bag instead of a bottle of wine. Like he's still figuring out how these things work in the real world. <laughs> And I love that. And you kind of hint that she now knows who he is, which I loved in this latest book. So that's not yeah, spoiling anything. Yeah, they have a kind of don't ask, don't tell arrangement, it seems. <laughs> yeah, um, so another thing you did in this book, which I absolutely loved, and I'm sure you got a lot of feedback on the tour about this, is the dogs. <laughs> Could you talk about, it's a Rhodesian Ridgeback, is that right? It's funny. Right now, I'm lying on my floor with my head resting on my 125-pound baby um, Cairo, and <laughs> Simba's sleeping across the room from me. So these are my boys. These are my writing companions. So Ridgebacks managed to sneak their way into a lot of uh, a lot of my writing. Um, I love it. And yeah, I thought you know, there's a situation where Evan stumbles upon a stray dog who's you know also uh, a bit of an orphaned dog and tries to figure out you know what he can what he can do and if that dog's gonna you know he's not allowed to have any animals in his building so what do you what are you going to do what's he going to figure out to see if he can save this dog from the pound and that's another one of the subplots and into the fire oh and it was so much fun um so i'm just curious i've never done this uh what if someone called the phone number well you need to do it one eight five five to nowhere you should call it and see what happens Okay, cool. All right. I, I'm going to do that. No, I, can't, I, um, can't, uh, I can't vouch for your safety if you do so. Oh, okay. Oh, I love that. All right. Um, what is Sweet Girl? Sweet Girl is a movie that just wrapped um, um, principal production. It's, a, it's an original screenplay that I co-wrote with um, Philip Eisner, who is a friend of mine. He wrote the movie Event Horizon. He's a you know, big science fiction writer of some note. And he and I have never co-written with anyone else. Um, we've been friends a long time. And you know, he had this notion for a script, and he, he and I were talking about it. And I, I said, you know, I like that idea, but what if we twist it you know, 90 degrees this way? We had this whole conversation. And by the end of lunch, I said, hey, why don't we – what do you say we just write this one together? You know, I said, I'm happy to give you all my notes and you can go write it yourself, you know, but I think this could be really fun. And so we wrote it. We sold it a year ago about we – we got it Jason Momoa attached two weeks before Aquaman came out, so that was pretty good. 
And, you know, a year later we were in production and we're wrapped already. It's the quickest movement. My last movie took me 18 years to get made. Um, And this one from sale to production was less than a year. It was was unbelievable. And part of that was because we had to hit Jason's window, you know, for the Avengers and Aquaman 2 and all that. Um, And that's going to be a Netflix movie. Marissa Tomei's in it. We have a great cast. Um, So, um, and it's a sort of revenge story about, you know, a father and his daughter who's, you know, the wife and mother uh, is dead. And it's a much more complicated story than we think it is. And so it's a kind of really tough um, um, actioner. Well, it's more like a thriller. Um, I would say it's got some. It's got a foot in the tone of seven, even. Ooh, okay. And when, when are we going to get to see this on Netflix? Uh, first quarter of 2021, I believe. Okay, nice. All right, I definitely look forward to that. Um, so, why do you write screenplays as well as novels? Because they're fun. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't say no. If something's really fun, I can't say no to it. You know, I'm working on the Orphan X uh, TV adaptation right now. Um, you know, it's yeah. Fun. What's the latest with that, too? Yeah. Uh, I'm well. I'm we we have that out. I'm 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 co-creating a TV show with a writer called Derek Kolstad, who created the John Wick franchise. We have Justin Lin attached to direct, and you know, we'll see. Everything's just development until it goes. You know, there's kind of. And this is the latest iteration. I've adapted it once for Bradley Cooper for a feature. Then I lost him to Star is Born. Um, and so, you know, it's, you just keep putting stuff together and, you know, until at some point it crosses the, crosses the line. And until we're really on solid production footing, there's not much to talk about. But I have a hell of a team assembled behind it. And, you know, I'm hoping that we'll, we can get this one going. Oh, well, I definitely would love to see him on TV, uh, especially with the people you've got involved. It'd be great. And I'm sorry, uh, I, I'm going to say this, and I'm sorry, I, I'm sorry Cooper went gaga for Star is Born. Um. <laughs> I know. I was like, a Star is Born? Come on. No one wants to see a remake of a Star is Born. How good is that going to be? And then, you know, of course it was spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Um, I'm curious, how do you, so your your action scenes in these books are phenomenal, how do you write an action scene? Well, I try and make every scene have to do with character. And so Evan's not the biggest guy like Reacher. He's not the suavest, most handsome guy like James Bond. He's not the best shot like Swagger, right? He has to bring the totality of who he is to every mission. He's like second or third best in every category. He's Ulysses. He's the man of many wiles. Um, and... So every time when I think about an action scene, it's not just the action. It's how does the action reflect on him? How does the action show us more about the way he sees the world, the way he functions in the world? How is each action scene like its own little three-act play? Um, and so that's a big part of it for me. I just really try to construct them like they're their own um, – like they're their own narrative that exists by themselves individually if you pull it out of the body of the whole book. I like that. Um, so and I'm also curious, I'm, I'm loving this series, and I'm glad you're doing them because he is a fantastic character. You wrote a lot of standalones prior, and you did have one series featuring Tim Rackley, but what made you decide to want to start another series you know, I had the idea for Orphan X 
and I had it parked in the back of my head, and I was afraid to write it, to be honest with you. I kept writing another book first and another book first and another book first. And I kept marinating because I wanted to make sure I really had a handle on what would differentiate him, what would make him different from Jack Reacher or Jason Bourne, you know. And I knew once I started this, if I could get this thing launched properly, that it would be, you know, a huge part of the focus for my career. Um, and so I kept waiting until I kind of had, had written through and covered enough of the focus and the differentiating aspects, his love of vodka, his OCD, his, his being an archetypal character who lives in the real world with you and me, right? His breaking through a set of rules that have governed his life to a new set of rules as he's trying to learn about himself emotionally and psychologically. There were so many things that I had to kind of get squared so that he was fully defined in my mind before I started writing it. Um, and once I had all that, I just realized he was a character that I wanted to spend a lot more time with. And so I knew it would be a series even before I started to write, you know, before I set pen to paper for the first Orphan X. Oh, that's so cool. Um, so the shocking last line of this book clearly is leading into next year's book for 2021. And I know you're under contract for books through 2023. So I'm wondering... Do you have like an arc of what you're going to do? And also, do you sort of have an end in sight for him and his character? I do have an arc. I know the shape of the next three for sure. I have some ideas of books beyond that, and I do not have a definitive end in sight yet. Okay. Well, I personally don't want to see him end, so that's why I wanted to ask that question. I love this character so much. Keep reading them. I'll keep writing them, Jeff. All right, that's that's you got a deal. Um, so, uh, last question I have for you is: Where can our listeners find you? Um, you can find me online. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. You can. Um, I'm on Instagram. I have a YouTube channel. You can sign up for my newsletters through my website, and you get stuff like the vodka list that Evan drinks. There's some ciphers of hidden codes that are in the books you can get if you go to gregharwitz.net. Um, and it will also tell you where I'm appearing for my book tour. The, the bulk of this book tour is done, but I have a number of appearances still coming up. And so you know, those are all the places you can find and interface with me should you want to hear more about Orphan X. All right. Well, um, our listeners, if they haven't read them, they need to immediately because they are pretty awesome. And Greg, um, thanks so much again for taking time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. Yep. Great to talk to you.